is Popcorn for Breakfast, presented by St. Louis Area Smoothie Kings. Now, here are your hosts, Cam and Kirk. Welcome, welcome in, my fellow Popcorn for Breakfastians. Thank you for lending your ears so we can lend you our thoughts on movies and stuff. Today we have a double review, beginning with Barbie, the one and only Mattel legend. From the beginning of time, there have always been two things that have remained, pink and Barbie. Make no mistake, Barbie existed in the world before we knew what to call her. But what happens, Cam, when Barbie's predictably pink and perfect world isn't so bright and glittery after all? I don't know. You don't know? Well, should well, I know? Well, I don't know. Have you seen the movie? I have. Okay, I do know. Thank I think you. I do know. Barbie explores that, of course, in the generations of lives it touches and how Barbie is inside each of us. Wow. That was like watching an, a stage show. That was, that was impressive. I feel like I'm at the West End. Ooh, the West End. Some, yeah, just, you know, we'll class, we'll class that up a bit. We'll class the joint up a bit. Make it British. That always makes it classier. How Everybody knows that. You know, I'm going to I'm gonna have a full stage production here. Before we know it, I'm going to have curtains. I'm going to have extras just, like, show up. Um, this is your house, so they'll just appear. I hope they'll that's just, okay. Yeah, of course. Of course, anytime. I had keys made, copied for Perfect. them. Perfect. So yeah, that feels, that feels safe. That feels good. Out. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. I, I I don't have you know I don't have as eloquent of words as you as per usual, but I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for this. Well, Cam, we've got a lot of ground to cover. A mm. lot of ground. So let's get started. It's a double review in honor of Barbenheimer. In miss, in case you missed it, Barbenheimer took over the world, and we are all better people because of it. I feel better. Did it ever? It really did. Um, and yeah, it's exciting. It's an exciting time to be alive. Do you feel changed by the Barbenheimer experience? I do. I will elaborate. More on that later, but okay. I do feel changed, for right. sure, for sure. Well, as stated, we're going to kick this off with Barbie, directed by Greta Gerwig. You may have heard of her. She's directed three films now, Lady Bird, Little Women, and Barbie. She's got lots of writing credits besides that with her co- co-partner, co-writer, co-husband, I don't know, <laughs> Noah Baumbach. All of the above. <laughs> Lady Bird, Little Women, Barbie, check it out. And we're just going to go we'll go straight through this thing. You ready, Cam? I'm nervous okay. um, because you told me we're doing something with the with the actors that's different. So I prepared m- more notes for acting, and I'm uh, that makes me feel I, I don't like when I don't know what's happening. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm glad that you're scared. I like to keep you on your toes because I like when you throw random stuff at me to, yeah. to see if I can land on my feet. Yeah, I just thought I thought that was like a one way street, oh. and now it's now it's like it's coming back the other way, and I'm like <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little little uncomfy. I yeah. Say. Well, do you want to go first with? I'm going to set up the rules here in a second, but do you want to go first so then you have the opportunity to uh, seize the day, and then next time when we do Oppenheimer later in this same episode, I'm going to flip the script on you and I get to go first. I want to go first on Oppenheimer. All right, cool. can I decide that since it's since I'm like it's like the away team gets to choose the coin flip. You're right. Okay. You're okay. Right. Yeah. I want. I want to go. I want to go first on Oppenheimer. Please. I'll allow it this time. But okay. Next time. We'll... Next time, I can't guarantee what we're going to do with Haunted Mansion. Fair enough. That's fair. <laughs> okay, so I'll go first. So we're going to talk about all different categories of acting and production and directors and scores ultimately by the end of this. And part of that is when we choose our favorite actors in our first two categories, Cam, if I say an actor, you can't choose them for anything else the rest of this episode. Oh. So you have to have lots of people in mind, lots of facts in mind, lots of favorite little tidbits from the movie in mind. Are there any actors that are in both? <laughs> 
both movies? Is that a potential <laughs> loophole? No. I wish there were. Yeah, I, have, I don't think there are. I've scoured the cast list. I have not seen anything yet. All right. So if I, if you pick an actor or vice versa, whoever goes first in that category, yep. if they pick an actor, they cannot be picked again. Right. And they can't be picked for the opposite. You're not like, well, the top two actors in this film. I like it. Swap I like it a lot because... Uh, it's never fun when you're talking about the same people over and over again. Right. So let's, and yeah, it's a little bit more challenging. It keeps me, it's going to keep me engaged. It becomes static. It becomes a game. So and I love a game. So I'm going first. You're going first. So this is our best actor category. And we lovely, lovingly call it. And the Oscar goes to today. Yes. My Oscar goes to, and you can't take it, Cam. Ryan Gosling. I knew. I, yeah. The Gosling Nader. Is that a thing? No, but it, it can be because of the internet. Gosling Nader. Can we have that appear right on our <laughs> Is screen? Is it Gosling Nader or the Goslingator? Gosling Nader. <laughs> That's like so much clunkier. But I like it. Thank you. Thank That's you. a thing now. I appreciate it. Hashtag. Ryan Gosling is a treasure going all the way back to the new Mickey Mouse Club and R.L. Stein's Goosebumps. He has been so under the radar for so long, and I feel like the first time he got his new notoriety was probably in Drive, was really mm. an awakening. Oh, man. Right? That movie. All I so good. think about is Brian Cranston's wrist when I think about Drive. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's horrible. It's horrible. But Ryan Gosling in this film does exactly what he needs to do. I love just how every beat of every moment that he gives is absolutely hilarious. Even in his most poignant moments, it's hilarious, which normally I would say, no, I want to see, I want to see the humanity. His whole humanity rests upon that he is a toy, he is perfect, and no matter what, he is the the epitome of comical atmosphere and plastic. And uh, to be able to do that and balance non-egotistical uh, he's he's egotistical. You know what I'm saying? He's yeah, saying yeah, that yeah. he's not he's not throwing it in your face. Right. It's like that's a handsome guy. That's unattainable. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I feel about. That's kind of his whole ism. You know, he's like a very he's a very accessible, approachable kind of actor. He yes. plays a lot of characters that you feel like y you want to hate them because they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's like, how do you get to have everything? But then they, you know, he just he breaks down your walls one 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 line at a time. He does one. Heartbreaking smile at a time, too. Yep. Gosh, he's beautiful. He is. So it's just perfect. It's pitch perfect. It's spot on. It's everything I wanted. And I did not expect to laugh that much at yeah. Ryan Gosling. And I'm so thankful he was cast in this film. But listen, you say that, but we need to start giving giving him his props. Because I, I, I am of the belief, and I've said this multiple times recently, he is one of the best comedic actors that we have going. Mm -hmm. Like, if you've seen The Nice Guys, if you've seen even La La Land, he has some great line reads there. He's got this, like, it's not a, it's not a deadpan, but he's, he's got this great, he's got great comedic instincts where he knows how to play off of other people, and he, he, he totally understands the tone of the movie that he's in at yeah. all times. And in this movie, he was absurdly hilarious, but he was so funny in The Nice Guys. Like, I quote that movie all the time, and I think it's, I think he's hilarious in that movie. So... Ryan Gosling is a comedic actor. People don't think it because he's mostly in dramas, but he really, you know, a lot of times in those movies, he's the comedic force. So yes. let's give him his flowers. He Good is. choice. Check out The Nice Guys, too. That is... Absolutely. Cameron told me about this a long time ago. I watched it. I, I delayed it. I delayed it, and then I watched it, and I said, Cam, this is one of the funniest movies I've ever Absolutely. seen in my life. <laughs> it's now, it very recently, hot off the presses, this is perhaps breaking news, it has recently entered my top four 
on Letterboxd. Oh, oh. So it's like hallowed ground now, man. Hallowed ground. Very nice. It's Can sacred. we get your and the Oscar goes to, Cam? Yeah, I'm going to go with Barbie herself, Margot. Um, I think the thing about Margot... Here, take the Barbie. Um, this Barbie looks like it has seen some better days, but <laughs> I'm going to go with Barbie, Margot. This is her right here. Yes. Um, and I think the thing about Margot is similar to Ryan Gosling. Because she is conventionally um, beautiful, and you know, in, in a very like blonde-haired, blue-eyes kind of way... Um, you know, she was literally called stereotypical Barbie in this movie. I think because of that, people think maybe, uh, you might think, oh, she doesn't have range or she doesn't have skill. She's got range and skill out the wazoo, whether it be the Suicide Squad, whether it be uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Uh, she's she's turned in so many impossibly awesome roles. And her professionalism when she approaches roles is among the best in the entire industry. She always goes into it very seriously. She does a ton of research. I think about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, that performance, she says very little in that movie, but she delivers an unbelievable performance because she's doing it all. And in this movie, um, you know, she was very, I think, if you've watched any of like the press tour stuff, you know that she was very involved in the production side mm -hmm. of this movie. Like she was sort of the engine that made this thing go. And she took that very seriously. And I think that she knew she knows that Barbie is a global brand and that Barbie, that word for better or worse means something to a lot of people. And in not a bad way, in actually a good way, kind of, you could tell that she was wearing that responsibility. Yes. You could tell that she was taking it. She was, she was approaching it with a sense of reverence. She was approaching it with a sense of like professionalism. And she was great. As always, her physicality was awesome. Whenever she did like, like just how the Barbie on the table just toppled over. She yep. does that in the movie and <laughs> kind of like rolls over and it, it's, it absolutely kills. It's comedically genius and she plays it perfectly. Um, and all of it, the emotion of the character, everything that she put into it was, was really exceptionally well done. So definitely Margot. I mean, who else could you choose? Those are the top. It two, would be right? downright offensive if I chose anybody <laughs> else. I think um, I'm going to pick Midge, the pregnant Barbie. I'm a, yeah, I'm going to pick. Uh, I'm going to pick uh, one of the many, many Kens in the movie. Is what I'm going to do. Fun fact about Margot Robbie: because she starred on a uh, Australian uh, soap opera for like 150 episodes. Mm -hmm. She can cry on command. Yes. She can do one eye. She can do both eyes. She can well up. She can drop both tears, one tear, one after the other. It's insane. Yeah. So I challenge you, Cam. Can you cry on command <laughs> right Absolutely now? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. But it's it's amazing. I've seen Anya Taylor-Joy do the same thing. Mm -hmm. I have no idea how they do it. It's remarkable. Yeah. And uh, there's some good, you know, we do spoiler for reviews on this podcast, but there's some tears at times. Yes. Good. Yeah, happy tears, sad tears, I won't say, but at times. And it's uh, it's powerful stuff. So your assignment next week is to be able to cry on command. Can on you? it. I'm on okay, it. Great. Don't worry about it, Kirk. I'll take care of it, buddy. That is how we're going to get the listeners to come back for at least one more yes. week. They're going to be looking for that on YouTube. All right. Our next category, Cameron. Mm -hmm. We like to call it scene stealer because while our Oscar goes to someone, there's always someone who, yeah, they're definitely the best actor, but did you catch that guy or that girl, that's what I'm here for. So let's dive into Scene Stealer. Lots of options. My top pick is Mr. Michael Sarah. 
Oh, nice. Yeah, I like that one. <laughs> you guys know Michael Sarah from Arrested Development. You know him from the infamous Juno film and so many other projects. He's incredible. Um, Michael Sarah in this film, there's always something magical when you hate a character collectively, like or like the, the everyone dismisses a character. Um, like in How I Met Your Mother, is it Phyllis? Right? Is it Phyllis? What's her name? Phyllis or? Oh, oh, oh! It's um. Francine. Francesca or something like that? Maybe. Like that. Someone so, fact check us, please. Yeah. And then, uh, so like, it's Newman, right? Newman. In, Newman. in Seinfeld. It's fun to collectively hate a character. Absolutely. While the characters on screen hate. So Michael Sarah is kind of just like there. They don't necessarily hate him, but they they dig on him because he's not like the other Kens. His name is Alan, <laughs> of all things. And what I love about this is that he the humor is so rich and there is this this sense of uh, the actor surrendering to that idea and fully committing to it. And there's nothing there's nothing stronger in Michael Sarah's wheelhouse than surrendering and, and being <laughs> super dismissive. That is right in his pocket. Being a being a submiss submissible character. That's that's the Michael Sarah pocket right there. On his resume, it just says looks defeated all the time yeah. someone stole my my cheerios he's <laughs> my the dog at the dog park that's like rolling over on his back anytime another dog <laughs> comes by i love that that's hilarious in the best way possible yes and through all of that there's also this resiliency that he adds into the film at certain times while still being that sad dog that just got kicked and he knows when to fight back and he knows when not to without ever losing sight of everyone wants to hate on this guy <laughs> He is the oddball out, and he remains the oddball out strictly by just birth. Yeah, <laughs> Michael Sarah, and I, they're just how he weaves in and out. There's these there's these quick cuts to him that just make him shine all through the film. Michael Sarah caught my eye, and I was cackling at the top of my lungs every time he showed up. Yes, very funny, and and just like imagine being Ken's friend, not Barbie's friend, <laughs> Ken's friend. Like yeah. there, it doesn't get much lower than that. It really no. doesn't. Um, for my scene stealer. I am going for Kate McKinnon, who oh. is uh, who who plays Weird Barbie yes. in the movie, and almost like a version of that Barbie. You've seen you've seen her in the trailers. Uh, the crazy hair looks like Angelica from Rugrats. Her doll Cynthia. Yes. Uh, it kind of looks like that, and. This movie uh, has tons of laughs from lots of different people, but Kate McKinnon was delivering more laughs per capita than anything I've ever seen. It was hilarious. Her her intensity at all times, which is something that she always brings to the table, was, was there uh, in overtime. And the physical acting could not have been more hilarious from her. I, I love when people's physicality matches their character. It's like, it's the, it's the side of acting people don't really think about, but it's so, so important. And when you're a comedian and you can do it, you know, like people think of like Chris Farley, like falling through tables and doing the crazy stuff that he did. Kate McKinnon does some amazing physical acting. She's like, she's fantastic. Mm. And she was the perfect choice for this character through and through her character has an arc and has a story and all of that. And, and it all goes, uh, you know, she does, she does a fantastic job delivering on all of that. But I just, most of all, she was downright hilarious. Yeah. And, 
Um, I could not stop laughing every time she was on the screen. Yeah, and uh, much like I challenged you to uh, cry on command next week, Cameron, um, Kate McKinnon does a lot of splits in this film. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> so, I don't want any more challenges, Kirk. I'm not signing up for any challenges. Well, I've got this microphone, and I'm going to ask you to do it, and <laughs> this is an improv uh, exercise. Yeah. I, so next week, crying on command. Okay. Lots of splits. Do I have to do them at the same time? I probably oh. will. Maybe, maybe Kirk. <laughs> Maybe the way that I make myself cry on command is by doing the splits. You've cracked the code. There it is. You've cracked the code. You actually just gave me a loophole, so I appreciate that. See, we never see, when Margot Robbie cries on camera, she's actually, we only see her face, but she's doing rapid splits. That's it. That's the key. That's the unlock. All right. Oh, my goodness. In that case, challenge accepted. I'll take it. Excellent. Well, that would be quite the showstopper to see cam mm. but i want to talk about the showstopper in production value in barbie yeah okay um so one of the things that i'm going to take and let's see we didn't put any rules on the showstopper just the actors no, that's all right uh, let's not no at least not for now i'm all not prepared right. right. i'm not all prepared right. ne- next week more homework Sheesh. <laughs> next week I'm going to keep you on your toes forever. My showstopper today goes into the opening sequence uh, from the very first beat up until uh, up until until we meet the real world. So there is a Barbie world and there's a real world in this film. I won't go any farther than that. But that whole section is just absolutely exquisite. And we get to see everything you see in the movie, the the Barbie slide, the how Margot Robbie flies off of the roof, all of her accessories, her Barbie accessories, how, how her and her other Barbie friends and Ken friends move through the Barbie world. We get about, I don't know, like a, a half a dozen different sets that we see before we ever hit the real world. And they're... Uh, their demeanor, their their dialogue, their interactions with each other, the axis of action is very clear, and it's very, very, very fun to watch. I was having some of the most fun I've ever had in a movie theater watching that first half hour of this film. Um, as we know, there was a pink shortage because of the Barbie production, <laughs> right, right? And it shows like there's so much rich and vibrant pinks and they're all different shades and it just like fills this world and it blew my mind that they could make it look like we had shrunk down and we were in Barbie's dream home. Mm-hmm. It, it is remarkable. Like the, the production design, the set design, uh, particularly in Barbie land is unreal. Yeah. It's unreal. It's, it's, it, it's something that will stick with you, you know, that you'll remember it even after you've seen the movie. So I think that's a great choice. Thank you. And right. yours. My showstopper. I'm going to go with the comedy. I, I did just tease it a little bit, and you certainly teased it with Ryan Gosling. But um, if you're a listener to the program for many years now, you've probably heard me talk about how I feel like comedy is a dying genre mm-hmm. in, in the traditional sense, meaning that movies that are solely comedies are uh, few and far between these days, and the ones that come out just aren't good. We had this amazing golden age of comedy in the like late 90s, early 2000s, where there were all these yes. hilarious movies, so many great actors that were doing it. You know, obviously Adam Sandler comes to mind, all the way up to Steve Carell with like 40 Year Old Virgin, um, into like The Hangover with Zach Galifianakis. And like, so many, there's so many great comedies. Will Ferrell, I mean, my gosh, Talladega Nights, mm-hmm. Step Brothers. Um, and that just doesn't really exist anymore. And, and so, where you have to go for comedy these days is movies like, um, actually, Oddly enough, the MCU for a long time was sort of the comedy source for people, and I think that's why those movies had such mass appeals because they were 
they were funny. Right. Um, something that is much maligned by certain fans. Um, <laughs> or movies like The Nice Guys and movies like like this movie that's not a comedy by its nature, but um, you know, it's technically a drama even, but has so much so much of a comedic element. And I think that this movie um just really, when you're in Barbie land, you have to keep things ultra light. Otherwise, it's going to start to feel ridiculous if people are taking themselves too seriously. And this movie balanced that really well by because they were tackling some like heavy social topics, which I think everybody sort of expected going into this movie. But they kept the comedy coming. They were driving it the whole time. It was genuinely funny. Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach are phenomenal writers. And so the jokes were not cheap. They were earned. And it just worked. It worked. And I was laughing my butt off like throughout the movie all the time. And everybody in my theater was doing the same thing. So the comedy is my showstopper bar none. It was so funny. Uh, top to bottom. To, like so funny. I, I mean, I haven't had many experiences, like you said, from, from movies like in the early 2000s. Some of the last greatest comedies. Maybe it's because we're millennials. But, <laughs> yeah. but I haven't had moments like that where I just like kept laughing. Yeah. And kept hearing my voice carry on and then i was like oh am i laughing too hard i don't know about this but I, I was really enjoying myself absolutely absolutely and that's it's it's so key i think the staying power of movies so often relies on that because people want to feel good more mm-hmm. often than not unless you're like me and you watch like uh, marriage story over and over again yes. <laughs> but, but most people normal people with good mental health uh like to laugh and that's uh that's something that will give this movie some rewatchability which i think is an important part in most cases, of, of a movie's value. Value and staying power, rewatchability, all yeah. that. Now, let's dog on this movie, Cam. Let's do it. I want to throw it against the wall. <laughs> I want it to just it up. drip down with oh. this just pain. I didn't, I didn't say, like, wh- blood, but... Nah. You, you inferred it. All right. Or you insinuated it. And then I want to vacuum it. <laughs> <laughs> I want to dump it in the trash can. Wow. With okay. My, with my director's shoes. So strapping in. Um, there's a lot of messiness to the second half of this movie. Okay. For me. For me. A lot of messiness um, in once we get a, a, a sneak peek at the real world, which I love the uh, the antithesis to the Barbie world and the real world. I love it and, and how it looks, how it feels. And then there's lots of other things that happen that I can't tell you on the spoiler-free review, but it got very messy. Most of all, it was messiest with the different themes it wanted to present. I felt like I could never grasp onto a main theme because they had so many supporting themes fighting for that number one spot. Uh, and it's fine, like a supporting theme can come in and take the spotlight and then step back, but this one, they had so many strong supporting themes that you never could tell which way are we going? And that got messy for me, uh, even though all the themes were good. Like, there's no there's no wrong theme that they were trying to do. It just got overcrowded for me. Um, some of the improv scenes as well, uh, well, I think they were improv. Some of the, the extended comedy got a little bit too freeform. And I've talked about that before, uh, yeah, about yeah. this, where the director needs to say, all right, that was fun, but it's not going in the movie and just cut it out on the editing floor and the actor will never know. They'll never remember how much improv that was that was dropped out. Um, I think some of the cameos were wasted and then the, the final thing I'll tell you that there was a, the jokes were funny, the comedy was good, but there is one excruciatingly secondhand embarrassment joke near the end of this film 
that just no one laughed at in my theater. It was just awful. Oh, and I can't even tell you what it is because I don't want to. I know. It for now you. I'm like, uh, I'm trying to jog my memory, but uh, you'll have to tell me off off air. I will. I will. And if you all want to know, you can uh, email us at popcorn for breakfast podcast at gmail.com. And then I'll just tell you uh, <laughs> via, via email because <laughs> it's 2023. And those, those are my things. They're wrapped up. Uh, I could go on for a while on those, but the biggest one, it was messy with the theming. And I never. I never got a home run with where Greta wanted to take us specifically. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with some of that. I think that it, it got a little um, ambitious, a little big for its its britches, um, which is hard. Uh, whenever you're making a movie about this, I think like I, I feel this way sometimes when I when I analyze a movie, I want to talk about every single thing that happens. So when you're making a movie, you're like, I want this movie to be about every single thing. And there were some stuff that they kind of like picked up but didn't bring it across the finish line mm-hmm. um and and some of that stuff was really rich too uh so it was kind of a bummer not to see the follow-through but i agree with that i think my my director shoes is that this movie is a is a satire um but i, I wish it would be a little bit more subtle of a satire because i think the effect of it would have been that much more rich and i know i know that the definition of satire is absurd and 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 kind of like brazen and in your face and loud but you can um lose people who are maybe on the other side of your perspective and i think that they push really hard and so the movie loses some of its effectiveness because some people who are not down with the theming that's going on they're gonna check out and be like yeah uh this is, you know, this is offensive to me. They're reducing my side of the argument or, or what have you. I just felt like, um, not necessarily that I had that experience, but I'm like, wow, this is a really heavy handed satire. And I think that in some ways they felt that it had to be that way. And, and, and I actually expected it to be definitely a satire going into it, but it was pretty, it was, it was a pretty like over the top type of thing. And I think that of course, if you're ever in the situation where you're watching a movie and you feel like this doesn't align with my personal beliefs, I, I should just share this first. It's okay. It's okay because because movies represent somebody else's perspective. And uh, the first thing that I would recommend doing if you find yourself in that situation is to uh, think about why does this why why does this make me feel this way? Because what a movie is 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 a is someone else's perspective. Mm-hmm. It is at least the director and writer's perspective of things. And because of that, it's probably a lot of other people's perspective too because it's very rare that like you have an opinion that is just <laughs> your own and nobody else holds it. So, I have seen a lot of chatter on the internet about uh you know, after seeing the movie about people thinking like, "Oh, I don't I don't agree with this movie." And and I would just say that you can not agree with the movie and still like it, or you can not agree with the movie and then go down, a, go on a journey to say, why do I not agree with this? But I think that they could have been, and I'm trying like tried so hard to stay like spoiler free. <laughs> you can probably see it in my eyes. Uh, but I think that if you go more subtle, when you have good, strong writers like Greta and Noah are fantastic writers, like I said, you can go more subtle and then you're like planting a, uh, like a sleeper agent that the person yes. realizes later they're like, oh, this is what they were saying. And, oh, man, I actually agree or whatever. I just think that themes can be more effective if they're more um, thoughtfully cloaked. 
Yes. And in this movie, I didn't feel like they even really tried to do that. They just like were like, this is our message, and boom, here it is. And it, you can either get with it or get out, and that's that's fine. But for me, I would like to see something a little bit more um, thoughtful in the approach and, and, and fresher I in agree. the approach. And I think that there were times when they did it. Yes, I agree. But not consistently. Yes. Yeah, I, I, I totally hear where you're coming from, and I can, I can hear the... The lines, and I can see the scenes in my head. Like, oh yeah, that was they're they're like dropping little breadcrumbs. Uh, but more times than not, they went for you know the whole loaf of bread, dropping yeah. it on your on your lap, and you're like, all right, I'm listening, but wh- where are we going? And do I agree with that? Do I not? But excellent point on if that comes in, just start to listen, listen uh-huh. to what they're saying, listen to your own norms and mores and beliefs, and say, any any room for adjustment here? A little. Some, none, and then move on with your life. I mean, I've had films change my perspective on stuff yeah. a lot. And it's, and it's one of the things I really like about it is that like a lot of times if you're just stuck in your own, you know, we all build our own little algorithmically generated comfort zones. And if you're just stuck in that feedback loop and you never get out of it, then your thoughts start to become a little bit crazy. And I think that it's good to watch movies because it will expand your scope. Movies that are done really well can lower your defenses and then say, what do you think about this? And you can look at it with, with fresh perspective. This movie didn't try to lower anybody's defenses. It was just like, boom, like wrecking ball. We're going in and that's what it is. So that's true. That's what, uh, Jim Carrey's, uh, the Truman show did for me, but it had the opposite effect. I just now think that I am on a TV show. (laughs) Now you're just paranoid. (laughs) Nice job. Thanks Jim Carrey. (laughs) Yeah. Not in an egotistical way. Like, Oh, look at me. Look at me. Like, Oh no, everyone is looking at me. This is terrifying. Right. You know, so that's my life right now. I feel that I have one other really tiny director shoes, which is that the set design is, is absolutely gorgeous and I love it, but we stay in one, area of barbie land for very long periods of time yeah and it starts to feel a little sound stagey and it starts to it starts to mess with the suspension of disbelief and that's that's a shame because it is so gorgeous yeah i just wish they had done like maybe a couple other little modules of barbie land again budget whatever i don't know all the inner machinations of that but um i did start to feel a little claustrophobic when we were staying in one area and it was like, okay, I've seen this camera angle 30,000 times. Now mm. let's do something else. Yeah. We were in a, a cul-de-sac for a long yeah, time, for a long time, <laughs> for, for, for extended periods of time. So we wanted to see the neighborhood. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Well, let's get our final thoughts and scores out there because this is the time where we can throw in any other random thing that we want or just say, I've said all I had to say, and I'm just going to give you my score. So my final thoughts for Barbie is that collectively overall, is the movie rewatchable? Yes. Uh, is the movie fun? Absolutely. Do I feel moved or changed by it? No. Did I generally like the movie? Yes. And I'm going to ask you these exact same questions. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Just one by one. I'm making yeah, them up right time. now, but I'm going to remember all of them in about 30 seconds. Of course. Of um, course. So... My subjectivity to the film is that uh, it was very well done. It was very well crafted. The things that bothered me bothered me enough to not put this in like a top tier rating, but I am happy I saw it. I'm happy I saw it in Barbenheimer forever. I'll get to tell my kids, Barbenheimer, I was there with the eye patch, hopefully. And my final score for this comes to 6.0 out of 10 kernels. All right. Uh, Good score. I think for me, this movie had... 
a lot of potential left on the on the you know you know in, in sports when they say leave it all on the field or leave it all on the court. Yeah, um, they didn't leave it all on the court. I felt like there was some there was some potential that they left untapped, whether it be just because sometimes it, you you alluded to it. You're just having so much fun making a movie, and it's like oh this is so great, and 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 everybody's having a good time, and you forget that like yes you get you guys are all friends, but you also have to make the best story possible. Um, and some, at times it felt like that with the improv and some of the stuff that you alluded to. And so it's like, man, I love the set design. I love the cast. I thought there were so many, so many great little performances. And like, I could have sat here and named scene stealers for the better part of the night. Um, I loved, uh, the, 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 the dialogue. A lot of the dialogue was, was so sharp, so smart. Um, they had tons of good themes. It was a, it was a little, over, it was a little over ambitious. It was a little bit loud. Um, but I mean, overall, I, I really had an awesome time watching the movie. Honestly, I don't know how rewatchable it is. I think I would really enjoy watching it uh, like on TV <laughs> as like a background movie, but not necessarily like actively watching it again. I don't know. I, I struggle with that, but I thought it was really well made. I can't say that it's a great film, but it's it's so freaking close, man. Like they... They just had to nail a few more things and make things a little bit tighter. Um, stuff like staying in one place for long periods of time really bothers me because it just feels like there's no dynamic contrast happening, mm-hmm. um, especially when the whole set is like pink, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm giving a 7.9, which is, I think, a really great score. Yeah. doesn't cross that 8 threshold for me, but I thought that they did a great job with it. Amazing score. 6.0, 7.9. That is... The review for Barbie. If you're still listening, which we know you are, because you come here for Barbie and you're staying for Oppenheimer review here in just a little bit. But before we do, we have a wonderful, incredible premiere sponsor that we want to thank today for making all of this happen. We've revamped our studio. We've revamped our lives. And it's all because of St. Louis Area Smoothie Kings. So... Without further ado, I want to tell you about them. Whether you're trying to meet your daily nutritional needs, staying strong, helping others reach their goals, or simply trying a sweet treat, which, have you tried that, like, pineapple-y thing over there? It's really I've tried good. all the things, Kirk. If it if it oh sounds gosh. fruity and delicious, I have had it, and it is fruity and delicious. There's, like, a strawberry tart one that my son gets a lot, and that's Ooh. really delicious. Uh, and like, the one you were talking about, the, what was it? Oh, the watermelon, ex- extreme watermelon lemonade. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I hate that it's only here for a limited time. It makes me angry, but yes. I understand. My problem is, a lot of times with Smoothie King, and problem is a, is a bad word, but my problem is, is that I want all the sweet treats, but I go for the meal replacement. So, yes. I always take my kids they don't get the meal replacements so i get to have a full meal and dessert immediately (laughs) perfect (laughs) together so you can too just buy two smoothies every time you go if you don't have a kid to monopolize on their smoothies so whatever your purpose is be sure to choose smoothie king select from delicious smoothies in three different sizes to suit your lifestyle choose ingredient add-ons like gladiator lean one protein or organic fruits and veggies or any other nutritional enhancers so that you can rule the day and and that watermelon smoothie, limited time. Make sure you get it. Extreme watermelon smoothie. It's got this delicious juice blend, coconut water, sweetened strawberries. And for that tart, refreshing twist, like we said, try the extreme watermelon lemonade. And it smoothie. is tart and refreshing. Oh. I, sh- I will say that. And watermelon, watermelon-y and lemonade 
and it's absolutely smooth. And nothing should. says watermelon like nothing says watermelon like summer. That's what I always say, Kirk. Instead of nothing says summer like watermelon, <laughs> I like <laughs> you know nothing me. Says you know how I always say nothing says watermelon like summer. <laughs> that's yep. That's what I say. You heard it first, all everybody. the time. <laughs> so again, we want to thank you from our wonderful, wonderful sponsors, St. Louis Area Smoothie Kings. You can find them directly at either of their two, currently two locations. We can find them in East Belleville at 660 Carlisle Avenue. Punch it into your Apple Maps right now. Or in Granite City at 3401 Namiyoki Road in Granite City for incredible service to start your smoothie journey today. Love it. Should we switch gears to <sighs> Oppenheimer? And what a gear switch it is, Kirk. As someone who who performed this gear switch in in real time over the course of 24 hours, um, I went the other way. I went from Oppenheimer to Barbie, mm-hmm. and they're um, different in tone and overall messaging. Yes, you know, Barbie's like ultra light. Oppenheimer, this is not a spoiler, is like ultra not light. Yeah, it's it's the other side. And there was this experience I had after seeing Oppenheimer, uh, <laughs> which was the same night the Barbie came out, and we're leaving the theater, and everything's in slow motion, and my ears are ringing like like I've just been shell-shocked, and I see a bunch of people walking by leaving Barbie at the same time, like they just come from a Taylor Swift concert, <laughs> and they're like high-fiving and laughing it up and having a great time, and I'm like you know, having this, you know, dystopian experience, this existential crisis. Yeah. It was quite a thing. It really was. And both movies present their own existential crisis, <laughs> which is only fitting that in the middle of all of that, we are also having yeah, it outside it, the theater. It vaults you directly into an existential <laughs> crisis, which is, which is great. Now, if we saw Oppenheimer, then Barbie, would it be safe to say that we celebrated Oppenharby this weekend? I don't know. I, my brain's not ready to process that. I only know I know I only know Barbenheimer. I saw that Letterboxd, God love them. Yeah, I love Letterboxd. They're fantastic. They're amazing. But their social media team posted something. I guess I I don't know. Did somebody trademark Barbenheimer or something? Like, oh, probably that quickly. They were like, if you're going to see both this weekend, tag it Boppy. What? I was like, and everybody in the comments was like. Hold on. There, there's like a generally accepted term for this. Why are you trying to introduce Boppy? And it was hilarious. Boppy. It's oh, like, I got to look this up. Yeah, got, you got to look up the post. It was hilarious. I don't know if they've deleted it, but it was so funny. It was like classic social media at its best. <laughs> Letterboxd. Well, before we switch gears, I want to talk about the synopsis of Oppenheimer. Mm. But before I can, Cameron, I have to change clothes. So yeah. you can, oh, you sure. can talk about whatever you want. I'm going to go out. Well, I, I'm going to tell the listeners that I'm changing on camera. Yeah. But our YouTube people... To get them to YouTube, but I'm gonna change clothes, and you can just do with that what you want. Here's what I'll talk about. Once we once we buzz into, um, once we buzz through the Oppenheimer review, we're gonna do a new segment called Podium, where we are gonna choose, you know, like a like an Olympics podium, a top three, and our subject for Podium this year is, or this year, this week is going to be Chris Nolan film. So we're going to talk about a Chris Nolan film in Oppenheimer. And then, oh my, and then we are going to do a podium of Chris Nolan films. So be sure to stick around for that. We didn't plug it in the intro. This is all very new, but we're going to get there. Hello. Why do you have a screwdriver in your mouth? That's not a screwdriver, Cam. Oh, I have to use um, the cinema of my mind to imagine it as a, as a pipe? That's my smoking pipe. <laughs> Does he smoke a pipe in the movie? 
I have no idea. It's like the Mandela effect. I feel like he does, but I don't actually know. I think he does, because I think he has prominent mouth openings when he smokes his pipe, either on a hillside in the mountains. He or does wear uh, many of these. Little, little tweed jacket. Little tweed, little tweed jacket. You're going to get uh, tetanus from that screwdriver, by the way, now that you've... Uh, <laughs> So good luck with that. Good luck explaining that one to your doctor. That's gonna be fun. Thank you. I was uh, I was smoking a screwdriver, <laughs> Phillips, as one does. Well, you know, I don't want to get blocked from social media. To, like, I can't smoke on camera, and I don't smoke. So, the screwdriver was the first thing I found in your house in the other it's room. Good. It's good. <laughs> you uh, you know, as I always say, my 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 casa's screwdriver is yours. Yes, yes, you do say that. I every, say that all the time. All the time. So let's get into Oppenheimer. Let's do it, and I get to go first. <laughs> well, before we do, yeah. let me set the stage with the synopsis. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, are you of ready, course. Kim? Yes. I want you to close your eyes. Doing it. Literally. Done. Okay, good. I'm going to keep mine open, but you you close your eyes. Are you going to, like, rob me? <laughs> are you going to pick my pockets? What's happening? Well, I had not considered that, but now I am thinking of it. Thank you for the idea. Are your eyes closed, Kim? They are. Etched in our minds, we can all see the atomic bomb mushroom cloud over Hiroshima, Japan. My gosh. Zoom, zoom out. And that picture is on the page of our history books. Zoom out again, and we can see a black and white photo of a very thin man. And under his picture is written J. Robert Oppenheimer, father of the atomic bomb. Zoom out once more, and this time it's on the incredible 52-foot by 72-foot frame of an IMAX movie theater screen. This is where we meet the man who orchestrated it all, Oppenheimer. Christopher Nolan's latest film explores... Can I open my eyes now? Oh, no, no, keep it Oh, I'm sorry. No, absolutely I'm not. sorry. For the rest of this time okay. of recording, nothing. Christopher Nolan's... Where was I? <laughs> Christopher Nolan's latest film explores the billions of atoms that built an ordinary man who was able to execute an extraordinary thing and out of all of the fame and opportunities and consequences, he had to go through all of it. This is Oppenheimer. I opened my eyes 30 seconds ago, but, um, so I'm sorry about that, first of all. I forgive you. This is like when they, what you're doing is like when they introduce movies at the Oscars that are best picture. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that for you, and I love that for us. So that's that's good. Um, this is my audition. I'm going to submit this to the good, Academy. It's, it's a darn good one, Kirk. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's do this thing. Let's do it. And you get to go first this time, which puts me at a disadvantage because, again, we cannot share yes, actors. Right. So you tell are me. so screwed. <laughs> it. It's over for you. I wrote a lot of notes, so I hope you don't <laughs> pick either one of these people. Um how about you lead us off now yeah, with the I best will. actor, which is, and the Oscar goes to. Yeah, I'm going to go with Killian Murphy, uh, which which is a surprise to absolutely no one who listens to this show because you know that uh, for a long while now I've been singing the praises of Killian Murphy. I think he's a fantastic actor. He, of course, plays the titular role of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, he, he does a absolutely superb job of depicting the life of someone who lives in their own head and is tortured by their own uh, thoughts, ambitions, regrets, uh, everything. And, you know, someone who is, I think, you know, J. Robert Oppenheimer is genuinely doesn't know who he is. You know, like I think some people just kind of go through life that way, like just don't know who they are and are tr constantly trying to figure out who they are. And he depicts that in this movie in such a beautiful way, oftentimes without actually speaking, but just by 
the way that he kind of uh, moves his eyes around, the way that he's kind of um, just generally looks kind of haunted by his own his own mind. And sometimes people who are cursed with the with uh, brilliance and genius are kind of like that. Like you? No, uh, not even <laughs> remotely close. Inside my head, it's just like whatever TikToks I, I watched <laughs> last night as I was trying to fall asleep. Um, but yeah, he does. He does a fantastic job of of doing that. He's. I mean, everybody who's ever analyzed a Killian Murphy performance has said this, but I will say it anyway. His eyes are unbelievable storytelling eyes. They are. Uh, they seem to go on forever. They seem to peer into your soul. Um, it, it just is worth saying. Um, and the movie is is nonlinear, and it's jumping between times. And sometimes people don't think of that through the lens of the actor, but oftentimes. Uh, the shots would be in the same location, but many, many years apart on the timeline. And that can be very difficult because those shots were probably done close together, but he has to know where his character's at with the knowledge that he has, what has happened and be consistent with that. And I thought he was miraculously consistent. Um, you just know where J. Robert Oppenheimer is in his mind and in his journey most of the time in this movie. And I think that in general, this you know, on a, on a personal note, as somebody who has really enjoyed watching this actor perform over the years, um, this is way overdue, whether it be whatever, uh, Peaky Blinders, A Quiet Place 2, <laughs> Red Eye, the Chris Nolan Batman series, all of the amazing roles that he's had. He's never had a big title role, which is crazy. And this was it. It's eons overdue. Um, but I don't think it'll be the last time. And I think that he could be nominated for an Oscar for this performance easily. I really do easily that obviously I would have picked Killian if I could have, uh, mostly because he's Irish, I'm Irish. So it just like goes without saying, yeah, sure. And it is incredible. Uh, one of other, one of another Christopher Nolan film he's in is inception, of course. Oh yes. And does an incredible job in that role. It, it's so seamless to him and, and it is really baffling why we haven't had him in such a title role. And I hope that this sparks it all where he just gets all the title roles. Yes. Yeah. It'd be great. His way. I'm ready. I'm ready for it. So excellent choice. I can't pick him, but I would have let it, let the record show Take that <laughs> my Oscar goes to Mr. RDJ Robert Downey Jr. How can you watch this film and not just be glued to him? This is one of his, second maybe third outing aside from the mcu uh in his mcu era i mean there was the judge there was dr doolittle and that's top tier cinema right there <laughs> oh my goodness and then afi top 100 forever i think and this movie comes in such a special time for him. He's been very public with his experience on oppenheimer mm. about how it's the greatest movie he's ever done um which that sparked some controversy with fans. Yeah. <laughs> and it's it's something that really pulled him in a new direction that he hadn't either been in a while or explored in a while. There's little things that he does that immediately tell you from the moment we meet him in, in this role, uh, he is the way he pulls down his jacket when he first meets Oppenheimer. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's so, it's just, it's like this little tug is his jacket's pulled in. It's so perfect. I was like, yes. He knows exactly what he's doing. Robert Downey Jr. is gone, and we are watching the character that he's playing. Um, I love that he was this thin, frail man because we've seen him in all of his muscle and glory for so long. Uh, so he completely transformed his body, which not necessary for a role, but impressive every time someone does it. Um, 
his role, his prep was, was from Christopher Nolan, which I also read, was to watch uh, Amadeus. And oh, yes. 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 And so he had to study uh, a, a specific role in there that I can't display right now. Uh, a couple of different relationships in there. And if you know Amadeus, the Academy Award winning picture, and you know you've seen Oppenheimer, then you know exactly what we're talking about here. And you'll, you'll draw the lines, connect the dots, and it's beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And... While his role as Iron Man is iconic and pitch perfect, mm. we haven't seen him immersed in a role like this since he was in Chaplin, which was in like 1990, yeah. um, which was, if you've seen it, absolutely perfect, absolutely incredible, immersive. And this is his next role that like that. So I, I sincerely appreciated watching him just fall completely into the this world of this character and not be... Uh, not trying to play his old tricks. Uh, com- every beat of this, he was spot on. He was focused, and he was not Robert Downey Jr. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, we just talked about Oscar. That's another nominee for right you. There. I, yeah. I honestly, I, I, it's early, but yeah. Can you imagine if we get to the Oscars and it's Barbie and Oppenheimer Dude, with that all would, the nominees? That would be awesome. That would Robert not... Downey Jr. and Ryan Gosling up against Best Supporting. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, man, that would be sick. That would be sick. Oh, but... gosh. Well, tell us about your scene stealer yeah. who stole the show for you in this film. It's uh, another actor that I like to talk about a lot. And I think when we reviewed A Quiet Place Part 2, I had this same duo in reverse. It's Emily Blunt. I love Emily Blunt. I think she's criminally underrated i think she has range galore um but all that being said i thought this movie was right in her pocket and it's like (laughs) if you love a really good band and you see them uh play all their hits you're like this is great you like their experimental stuff you like when they when they go out of their range but when they're in their pocket they're just like delicious and emily blunt was right there she does this thing um she can play this this particular like fierce defender of uh, personal code kind of character someone yes. someone who has a deep personal code and it doesn't really matter what else is about them they have a list of rules that they abide by and she's so good at playing characters like that and and her character um, kitty in this movie is exactly that ha- like has a, a lot of different things going on, but she has rules, dang it. And she's mm-hmm. going to stick by them no matter what. And she doesn't care if there's, if there is what she would cl- classify as a wrongdoing, she's going to fight fiercely against it throughout. And man, was she just a force to be reckoned with on screen? Absolutely love Emily Blunt. I think she's fantastic. She deserves all the accolades and she didn't get like, ultra 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 screen time but her her role is so important in this movie i would i mean i would nominate her for an oscar for it i thought it was unreal and is like a huge part of the emotional um payoff in this movie and is very necessary so i thought emily blunt was spectacular she was so good (laughs) yes it's just that simple like if you when you come to this movie just keep your eyes on her because she will light up the screen. Bravo. My scene stealer. Hmm. I've got a pivot here. Yeah. Take that. Yeah, how dare you? I'm <laughs> 0, for, 0 for 2. <laughs> ah, I made these rules as well. So what if we picked an old friend? Mm. I want to take you back to the late 90s and early 2000s with a, with a friend of mine called Josh Hartnett. 
Yeah, let's, yeah, yes, this is good. This is good, Kirk. Yeah, if you would have told me back in the day that the actor from The Faculty with the Aliens, <laughs> Pearl Harbor with all that hair, Black Hawk Down with all that hair, 40 Days and 40 Nights, Hollywood Homicide with Harrison Ford, that made me want to commit homicide because it was such a terrible movie. <laughs> I watched that start to finish. It was awful. If you would tell me that he would one day be in a potential Oscar-nominated film, I would call you a fool. I would absolutely call you a fool. But he does the same thing that all these other incredible actors that we've mentioned already are doing. I Just Christopher Nolan has the magic. He knows how to speak to his yes. people. He knows how to give them constructive criticism. We've heard like tidbits in the news, and none of it's ever like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's always like, there's more in you. And then he like walks away mysteriously. And then they're like, oh crap, There, he's right. There is more in me. So whatever the, the way he draws people out to, in order to challenge themselves, he's doing it at an just an expert level that no one else can do. I mean, Josh Hartnett, who has disappeared since Hollywood Homicide, effectively and thankfully, and he's back and I just loved everything that he did. He's moving his glasses. I mean, you when he starts <laughs> to move his face in like a contemptive way when he's like having a little a little tiff with the other uh, professors at the, at the university or in uh, in the Oppenheimer uh, build site. Uh, they, he's doing this smug look like, well, well, I don't know. <laughs> and it doesn't look like Josh Hartnett is at all. It looks like someone has possessed his body and it looks like, I don't know, like a... Like Richard a, Gere. R oh, I, Richard I, Gere. Well, I can't take credit for that. Somebody <laughs> tweeted. after, like Right after I saw Oppenheimer, I got on Twitter to like read the Oppenheimer tweets and somebody tweeted... Did Chris Nolan just turn Josh Hartnett into prime era Richard Gere? And I was like, yes, he did. And I'm sorry I don't know who tweeted it because it was an amazing thought. Um, but yes, that's 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 it. I will never watch that movie again. Yeah, because <laughs> I can't now because I don't want to see Richard Gere, but I'm replaying it in my mind and it's absolutely it's Richard Gere. It's spot on, dude. It's spot on. <laughs> oh, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Just I was so impressed. I love it when actors have a comeback story. I mean, obviously, we all know Brendan Fraser with his comeback and, and resurgence, and I hope that this is something similar yeah, for Josh Let's Hart. do it. He deserves it. He's the one. He's my... He's he was my almost Batman, story. for God's sake. He was almost the Christian Bale Batman. Which I'm glad he was not. Yeah, I mean, Christian Bell was amazing. There was no one better. Amazing. No one better. All right, so now that the actors are out of the way, we're yeah. back to Showstopper for Oppenheimer. Yeah, for me, and, and this is this is crazy, um, <laughs> like, this is the thing that, that absolutely, like, floored me about this movie. It's the chronology of events that happens in this movie. I have not read American Prometheus, so I don't know exactly how it goes, but I have to imagine it's a lot more linear than this movie was because this movie is absolutely unhinged with the chronology. But the key is it's perfect. The editing is immaculate, and in the order they decided to go in to tell this story in this like hodgepodge, like patchwork quilt way. Um, is not a patchwork quilt. It's extremely intentional. It's extremely thoughtful, like in ways that I didn't really realize until much, much later. Um, I'm actually really glad that I had time to sit with this movie and kind of live with it in my mind for a while. Um, but the chronology is insane. And, and I, you know, it's funny to me because uh, we were actually talking with uh, Stefano around Oscar time last year, uh, PFB contributor Stefano. And we were kind of uh, maligning like biopics like, yeah. Oh yeah. man, they're so formulaic and you just feel like you've seen them all. And 
They always get nominated for Oscars, so people are going to keep making them, blah, blah, blah. And, and, and in many ways, it's very true. But this movie's a biopic. And let me tell you, this movie absolutely spits in the face of that formula. Yeah. It says, no, sir, this is a story. It may be a true story, sure, but this is a story, dang it. And I'm going to tell it the best way this story can be told. And somehow, the way that Chris Nolan decided to do it was, was it. That was the perfect way to tell it. And it's a three-hour movie, and it absolutely hums. I think it absolutely flies. And it's because of the way that they decided to piece this thing together. I thought it was remarkable. Yeah. Thinking back to that three-hour time mark, I just saw Mission Impossible 7. You had a perfect week. I had a, uh, I don't know, (laughs) an amoeba. Better luck next time, buddy. (laughs) I finally got to see it, three movies in one week uh, in the theater. (laughs) And that was a three-hour movie. It's like six minutes shy. And that feels like a three-hour movie. The third act of that, little mini review here, the third act of that thing really kind of... It, it, it feels long. Yes. It just does. It's, it's, it, it slams on the brakes a little bit. And you're sitting in Oppenheimer, and the credits start to roll, and you're like, wait, where am I? <laughs> you feel like, yeah, you feel like you just woke up. You're like, huh? You have to get, like, reacquainted with yes. reality. The lights come on, and it's, ah, no, give me more. Yes, Killian, dude. come back to me. So true. Uh, so, yeah, that's, that's beautiful. That's absolutely beautiful. My showstopper is in a very specific technique that had to happen for the filming of this movie. Mm. Um, This is insane because there are, in playing with time, and in order to show us different stages of time, there's different uh, color hues, uh, color filters, and one of those is black and white. Mm. And since this was all on IMAX and 70 millimeter, the black and white sequences required the creation in 2022, (laughs) if you will, um, for, for when they started filming, required the creation of a new type of film stock. Awesome. That's insane. That's amazing. You know, I think I think about movies and I think about like, oh yeah, you know, people, you know, it's easy to do digital. Some people like to do half and half and you can kind of see it. Some people only shoot on film. But this... So, was, so 70 millimeter black and white, that was the new stock? Specific, and specifically for, um, I'm sorry. Oh, for IMAX. For IMAX. So instead it was, a, it, they had to produce a 65 millimeter black and white film. 65 millimeter. A film reel and it was uh, done through of all people our friends at Kodak yeah man because they somehow exist uh, past Absolutely. disposable cameras in my, my mind that's all where they go <laughs> so that fact alone really just caught me off guard I was like wait a second this incredibly mounted film created new film technology yes with old technology if you will because so many people it's so much easier to do digital cut drop delete whatever and this is the way that christopher nolan is going and it shows like it's new but it's of the old school uh of film where the the classics are made and this film it's always you know hard when you say like oh that's going to be a classic but there's no doubt in my mind that people will see this in 30 years and be like oppenheimer is a classic yep it's that simple so absolutely that's my show. Good point. Good point. Facts. Well, Cam, now I want you to slam Oppenheimer against the wall. <laughs> All right. I'll try my best. It's, it's a formidable opponent. Um, to be honest, I feel nitpicky here, I would say. In general, um, the third act comes very close to um, losing us, right right in the, the sort of transition point into the third act. Because... There's all these character dynamics being laid out, but there's also this, you know, there's this giant um, 
you know, event that we're building up towards. And so when you have to transition back into the character stuff and, and, and re kind of visit some of those things, even though they've been going on in the background the whole time and it's all relevant, it feels like a pretty significant gear shift. And it's almost like <laughs> it's, it's like Chris Nolan's like got us on the edge of our seat. And then, and then he moves us back and he's like, no, nah, I gotta, I gotta get you back there. You know, I gotta like, I gotta get over that hill and get you back to the point of where it feels like, um, you know, a, a climax point of the movie. And you can feel the, the tension of that, the pull of like, all right, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. Stay with me. Um, he never lost me, but I could see how some others might be depending on your expectation of the film. And just depending on how you're enjoying your time watching the movie. I think that, um, if you're like, Oh man, you know, like they lost you somewhere in the story. You're going to be like, this is, this is horrible in, in the final act. Right. And, um, it wasn't, it wasn't that way for my personal experience. I thought it was great, but I could see how it was like real close to reach. Like it was really pressure testing itself and it didn't, it didn't, you know, the levy didn't break, but it was, it was close. So that's my, that's my director's shoes. That's very good. That's very good. My director's shoes goes into the first, uh, seven to 10 minutes of this film. I mm. was highly worried about the rest of the film. Um, the first seven to 10 minutes, it's trying to lay out those different, uh, places in time and how we're gonna how we're gonna be constructed throughout as we go, and that part of the film was the most rushed. I you do need a good momentum at the start of a film, especially like this that's three hours long. However, it was the only part where I felt like I didn't know where I was because we we needed a little bit more time on each of them to establish how we were going to receive this film. So. Uh, until we get to a very peculiar meeting with uh, Sir Kenneth Brenow, I don't really know which way is up or down. And that's when I felt like, okay, I get it now. Um, but until that moment, seven to 10 minutes in, I was very, very confused and probably will be for the rest of my life as I <laughs> rewatch this film. I have forever been reprogrammed <laughs> that I do not know where I am. So that is my director's shoes. Love it. Well, shall we? I want to get our final thoughts and score Cameron lay it on us yeah I think um Chris Nolan talks a lot about his influences I like I like to watch stuff on Chris Nolan I think he's one of the best going um you know not this this movie notwithstanding whatever I think that the, that he is one of the best actors out there or best directors out there and a director he often talks about in his influences is Stanley Kubrick um who I love I I think Stanley Kubrick what I love about a Kubrick movie is that he just tries to make his movies about everything and sometimes he fails, but when he succeeds, it's like, yo, <laughs> it's like, that was awesome. Like 2001, a space odyssey. I think of like that movie as being like head explosion moment. And this movie felt like watching a Kubrick movie. It really did. I think on so many different levels, it felt like watching a Kubrick because he, Chris Nolan was just like, gosh darn it, I'm just going to make it about every possible thing it could be about, and I'm just going to find a way to make it go to come together because yes. there's just too much good material here. There's so much commentary, and he took a viewpoint. He did. I mean, he, he really did take a stance on where, you know, how he feels about all this, I think. As a director, I think he, he showed us, like, here's all the info, but here's what's what I think is real. And so I like that he took that stance, but I like that he just really... Um, 
he, he somehow managed to just do it all. And it was, it was really impressive. The character stuff, the, the, the historical, the scientific, all of it was just so, there were so many levels on which this film works and that was insane. And I think just in general, the filmmaking prowess that was on display in this movie, like unbelievable. <laughs> I think you just look at, you know, obviously Chris Nolan, but also his cast and crew, insane ensemble, insane script. I already said the editing, the, the sound design of the movie, unbelievable. Um, the, the Ludwig Göransson, uh, score. Oh my gosh. Like I, when I saw that Hans Zimmer wouldn't be available for this movie, I was like bummed about that because him and Chris Nolan do so much good work together. But, um, Ludwig Göransson, who's like one of the best going right now, yo, like that, that script, that, that score was sick and he just continues to do great things. So I knew we were in good hands there, but it, it really did pay off. Um, this is why Chris Nolan, who has only been nominated for Best Directing Academy Award one time somehow, mm-hmm. um, this is why he's one of the best going right now. I think probably top three of his era, you know, and maybe maybe higher before the the it's all said and done. Mm-hmm. Um, this is up there for his movies, and I'm giving it a nine point six out of ten. Beautiful score, beautiful score. Christopher Nolan uh, recently went on some sort of talk show or a podcast, and he was talking about some of his favorite films. And one of his favorite comedies, it, this is just funny, uh, is Talladega Nights. Yes. <laughs> he likes to play back Talladega Nights. Same, brother. Same. <laughs> so we're, we are the same. Like, you are a genius, <laughs> but we all have some inter uh, intermutual atoms in there somewhere. So so thank you, Chris Nolan. And, and we're here to have a rewatch party with you anytime you want. Yes. My final thoughts on this film are that uh, what I've said, it's a classic film. Um, it's it's so beautiful. It's so painful. It's so... Uh, the curveballs that, that you get in this film, it's not, a, it's not at all what I thought this film would be. Um, we got glimpses of going into the movie. This is a horror movie. Uh, this is, you know, this is not a biopic. And like, yeah, you will be horrified at, at certain points. And the, the, the elements and the tricks that he pulls into this and what he does with introductions to characters and the way he just orchestrates them mm-hmm. in, in Oppenheimer's life. I had no idea about the inner workings of Oppenheimer's personal life at all before this film and it was very fascinating to watch uh, everything come together my final score on this 9.5 out of 10 kernels wow close very close, close. scores <laughs> yeah i mean you said it but um instant classic i think we're both in, in agreement on that no questions asked and the other thing we were both you know kind of alluding to is that this movie transcends genre and i think the classics do they do transcend genre. I think the movies that really stick um, for all time, they they you can't pigeonhole them. You no. can't say this is a biopic, this is a drama, this is a comedy, this is a you know romance, whatever. They float somewhere in the gray, and this movie lived there, and it just it owned the gray. It was like <laughs> we're we're I'm I'm here and I'm happy, and it's just going to be its own thing, and that was that was really cool. So that's our review of both movies. Long episode, I know, but. We're going to do one last fun activity before we leave, and that is a brand new segment called Podium. Let's get into it.
lovely introduction that is to this brand new segment. Kirk, here's how this is going to work. Okay. It's top three, essentially, just like an Olympics podium. One, two, three. And if you want to decide at the end that yours, you know, sometimes they share awards. They do like one person's in first place, but the other two are sharing third. That's fine. You can always disclose that later. But essentially what it is, we're going to go back and forth picking one movie. The topic is Christopher Nolan films. And you have to pick a top three. But if your movie gets mentioned by the other person, you cannot pick that film. Ready? Yes. So it'll essentially be gold, silver, bronze, and then you, you figure out who got left off the podium mm-hmm. um, more so than who was the top of the podium because we'll figure that out first. So there's 12 films on the table, 12 feature films <laughs> by Christopher Nolan. And uh, by my scorecard, do I get to go yeah, first, Cam? you do. You do, and I hate that. <laughs> I hate it. It feels – it was a rookie mistake by me. Will never oh. happen again, but, you know, every dog has his day. So That's have right. at it. That's right. I think you already know my answer to this one. My gold spot is going immediately and directly to Inception. Really? Clear and simple. Wow. I rewatch that movie frequently. I will watch it at 1 o'clock in the morning when I'm trying to go to bed. It gets my heart rate up. It's perfect to go to sleep to. And then you don't know if you're asleep or if you're awake <laughs> or if you're, you're, you're three levels deep or what have you. Okay. That's right. That's I right. like that. I get my totem and I, I figure it out. Okay. Um, but that's, that is an all-time film for me. I like it. I like it mostly because I I don't th- I don't think I have it in my top three perhaps. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I might I might be playing with house money here a little bit. Oh, um, my number one, and this is hard because I I did just give Oppenheimer a top score, and I, I wrestled with this for a long time. I'm still going with the Dark Knight. I'm going with the Dark Knight mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I feel like that movie just changed the game. I, I because with Batman Begins it was. Well, he did a serious, he turned Batman into a drama. You know, there was some criticism about that. Like, he used, like, a very grounded villain, a couple of very grounded villains in Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul and then, and then Falcone and whatever. But number two, it was like, now we're going to do the Joker. Now we're going to yeah. do, now we're going to do Two-Face. Let's get comic booky on it. And he looked at a comic book movie in a way it's never been looked at before and changed the game forever, yeah. literally. Plus, obviously, amazing performances by Christian Bale. Heath Ledger, um, rest in peace, and many, 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 many others. So The Dark Knight, top of the podium for me. Well, that's beautiful. You've knocked out my one of mine. It wasn't going to be my next one. Yeah. But you did knock it out of my bronze spot. So take well, that. Let the record show. Cameron's still doing bronze. It would have been my bronze. <gasps> Say it. It's, it's fine. Because. It's okay. Oppenheimer takes my silver. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You've heard all the reasons, and this is this is an incredible piece of art. Oppenheimer for the silver. Oppenheimer for silver. Yeah, this is where it gets tough now. Mm-hmm. This is where it gets tough. Do I you need like to smoke on this pipe? I don't. Um, I don't need that, but I am going to go. Oh, man, this is hard. Have a puff. No, I won't. I won't do it. <laughs> I, I have. I have <laughs> One puff. No, I won't. I have principles, Kirk. <laughs> um, I am going to do. This is so hard. I am going to do Memento. Ah. I'm going to do Memento because I saw that movie um, very early on in my kind of like when I was like learning about good films. And I went through this era where I I really liked psychological thrillers because that was kind of like the flavor of the day back back when like, you know, the mid 2000s. And I saw that movie 
it, again, it had this insane storytelling pattern to it, the same way that Oppenheimer kind of does. And I was like, this is sick. And it, it's got this mystery to it. Um, a lot of his movies kind of find a way to incorporate mystery or thriller into mm-hmm. it. But Memento is a true, a true mystery. It's really well performed on all fronts. And uh, yeah, I got to go with Memento. That may be like a surprise pick, but that's where I'm going. Well, when you have 12 bangers here, it's... Uh, all bangers all the time. It's, it's anyone's up for grabs. My final pick for the bronze level of podium is very difficult. It is very difficult. But I must go with my gut and pick the prestige. Oh, that's that was on my list. That was that was what I was wrestling with. Got you. Got you. Kirk. <laughs> um, the prestige, obviously the superior magician movie of its time versus the illusionist. Sorry, Ed Norton. And uh <laughs> What's what's Justin Timberlake's wife's name again? Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel. Um, yeah, The Prestige absolutely blew my mind. Saw it in theaters. Loved every second of it. Loved every twist and turn. Um, it's it's a movie that made me uh, rethink how I watch movies. Uh, before before that, I was like, wow, this is incredible. Now I try to guess movies as I'm watching them, right. but but still in a fun way. Before I, it just absolutely. I mean, I almost <laughs> fell out of my chair yeah. in the movie theater. So with the twist on that, so the prestige gets my final spot. All right. I would have picked it. I would have picked it. And I thought that was like, I don't know. I thought that was, you know, a little, little edgy, and, but you picked it. And so I guess I'm not as cool as I thought I was. Wait, 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 wait. You thought it was edgy and then I picked it. So it's not edgy. Hold <laughs> no, on. I was just saying like if other people also feel like it's a top three film, or in this case, I guess a top five. Mm, okay. Then maybe it's not. I'm not saying specifically you. I'm saying anybody, yeah. anybody else, Kirk. Yeah. I hear you. Take it. I hear your back. Talking. Don't take it personally. <laughs> okay. Last one. This is tough, and I think people are going to absolutely annihilate me for this one. Wait. I know. I know what you're. I wish I had a piece of paper uh, <laughs> to like prove which one I think you're going to guess. Nope. So oh, I'm going to type it. Hold on. Yeah. Type it. Yeah. That. That. That's proof. That's. that's my hands proof. are away from my computer. I'm choosing Dunkirk. That's what I wrote. Is it? Let me see. It's way down here. Yeah, it's ah. Dunkirk. It's Dunkirk because um, Chris Nolan was just like, hey, hold my beer. I'm going to make a war movie real quick. And <laughs> it was awesome. Uh, an untold, you know, a, a pretty much untold story on the on the silver screen. Um, amazing cinematography in that film. And last bit, just to be, just to make the haters angry, Interstellar, way overrated. Stop it massively overrated stop it it's not not on your list it's the next no sure it is sure it is it is sure it is kirk i mean it i love that movie dunkirk's better i disagree well then you're wrong (laughs) i'm just kidding but i know i know people love that movie i don't i think it's good i think it's great i think all of his movies are really good um the following i mean i like that movie too insomnia um good movies but yeah there's not a Honestly, <laughs> there's not a bad movie in here. I said the following, isn't it? Just following, just following. Yeah. Drop yeah. the the, just like it's social cleaner. network. It's cleaner. <laughs> yeah, but no, that's that's my take. I, I I think that Interstellar has been. I don't know what it is. Something about that movie. I think the score was really good. Matthew McConaughey was really good. There's yeah. there's a lot of good elements, but I think people think that movie is better than it actually is, and that's that's where I'm at. That is your opinion. It is. And I have a different one, and that's okay. And that's that's actually great. And that's why we can sit here and discuss movies. That's why so, it's great. So, so what we dropped from the list that did not make the podium, we've got Following, Insomnia, Batman Begins, mm, Dark hurts. Knight Rises, I love Batman Interstellar, Begins. and Tenet. Those are I like ones. Tenet, too. People hate on that movie a lot. I really liked it. It's good. Just not 
top three podium good. No, definitely not. (laughs) Well, everyone, thank you so, so much for our first review and albeit double review in the new studio, the new setup. We thank you so much for everything. We thank you for subscribing and liking and commenting. Make sure you do it for the wonderful giveaway that's happening. Like, subscribe, comment on this video. We are going to talk to you next week about another film. Talk to you then.